How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 170 of X-Lapsed. And I uh, can't believe it's taken me 170 episodes to realize that if our heroes aren't messing with Otherworld, they're messing with Madripoor. So uh, we've got... Well, I mean, we knew this story was going to be in Madripoor. It's a three-part story, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, it's very, very evident that... I mean, our characters are just stuck going in one of two directions here. All the ones not written by Hickman, I guess. But uh, let's get into it. This is Wolverine, Volume 7, Number 10, at an April 2021 cover date and a legacy number of 352. Stories called Mercenaries, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Adam Cubitt. Colors Frank Martin, led as VC's Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro Basso White Sabolski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale February 24 of 2021. Now we start with a broken-in-two double-page spread of roll call and cred here. Uh, we got one page with our little catch-up and our roll call. The next page is our credits. The characters we'll be paying attention to today are Wolverine and Maverick. That's about it. Now we pick up right where we left off last issue. Now, Maverick's got his gun held up to the Merchant's Dome. Wolverine is standing there with his claws crossed. I I always... It's funny, when you see pictures of Wolverine with his claws crossed like that, you know, like where he's making an X, basically, it looks really cool, but I can't think of a single instance where it, like, makes sense for him to be standing like that, unless he's posing for, for a photo, I guess. But anyway, the Merchant's crew has them surrounded with their guns drawn. Wolverine suggests that the merchant call off his goons and give up the magnetic gloves, or else he's about to have his head pierced. And so the baddie drops the mitts. Unfortunately, this just lowers Maverick's guard to the point where the merchant can sneak in a shot from one of the Punisher's old pistols he had hidden on his person. The shot deflects off of uh, Mav's mask, but I'm sure it's still hurting. In fact, he will say it hurt a little bit later on. Uh, Old Merch also has one of Elektra's daggers, um... Do ninjas have daggers? I don't know, I thought it would be like a sigh. Now, while the skirmish plays out, the merchant, uh, boy, am I saying the word merchant a lot, suggests that Wolverine and Maverick don't place any value in history. Which, I mean, I can't really speak for Maverick, but wasn't there a time where, like, every single Wolverine story had to do with his history? I don't know. Uh, The auction house fight scene rolls on for several pages. Um, It's worth noting that they're very pretty pages. The point here is that Wolverine and Maverick are totally distracted from what's going on on the floor. You know, they're busy dealing with dozens upon dozens of heavies here. Now, this is when Dolores What's-Her-Face from the X-Desk shoots the merchant in the back. She calls in her CIA backup and swipes that severed Wolverine arm that was up for bid last issue. 
Now, it seems like they haven't settled on Dolores' relationship or association with Krakoa, as well as her actual, just, physical look. I mean, we could put up every instance in which we've seen her so far, and if not for the wheelchair, I'm not sure you'd know it was supposed to be the same woman. Anyway, Wolverine and Maverick, upon seeing the stage swarmed by CIAs, decide to leg it. They flee the auction house and arrive on the docks of Madripoor. Got a question for you. Did you know that Madripoor is a lawless place? Well, if you didn't, you do now, because it's mentioned like three times on a single page here, and basically every page that we've read about Madripoor to this point. Now, the CIAs arrive, and so Wolverine swipes an octopus from a street vendor and throws it at them. Then, more fighting. Wolverine directs Maverick to a nearby Krakoan portal, which... Well, we've got to assume after the events of Marauders number 18 is completely swarming with Madripoor police and new Reavers. Because, uh, yeah, no, nah, that's, that's a totally different book. And it's not like they have editors in common or anything, so uh, no. Uh, but for real, Wolverine suggests that they portal hop. To which, Maverick says he don't need no stinking Krakoa. Just then, Mav's Merc outfit flies overhead in a chopper. Maverick offers Wolverine another way out, and so they climb into the helicopter. Dolores What's-A-Face looks on, and I swear she looks different from even just the last time we saw her a couple pages ago. Next up, info page. A CIA phone log where Dolores is reporting into the CIA director. Now, the director is worried that what went down at Legacy House might endanger the U.S.'s treaty with Krakoa. Dolores is all, nah, ain't no big thing. This happened in Madripoor, don't you know? And it's lawless here. Uh, now, we find out here that Dolores was at the Legacy House auction because she wanted to buy Maverick. Now, she thinks there's still a way to do this. I mean, he is a mercenary, after all. Uh, she might not be able to outright buy him, but uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident that she can hire him. Back to comics, and we're on board the Merc Chopper. Here, Logan is introduced to the rest of Maverick's crew, Marim and Junior, and he compares them to Team X. The helicopter brings them to uh, the Merc's submarine headquarters. Maverick says it's always on the move and it keeps them one step ahead. Then he kind of razzes Wolverine a bit, claiming that uh, he doesn't answer to anybody here. Not a Professor Thornton, and certainly not a Professor Xavier. Wolverine's all, hey man, is a cool place, we're family there. To which, Maverick makes a drinking the cult Kool-Aid reference. Now, apropos of nothing, he's referencing the Jonestown mass suicide from 1978 here, and uh, they didn't use Kool-Aid there, they used Flavor-Aid. And uh, I, I think this is a uh, losing battle here, I, would, uh, I won't even press the issue, but uh, it was Flavor-Aid. Anyway, Maverick suggests that Logan leave Krakoa behind and join the Mercs, and it'll be just like the good old days. Wolverine turns him down. Maverick's all, okay, cool, but... While you're here, how about we pull off one more job together? Now, Wolverine's in, because we've still got like seven pages left in the issue, and he's not ready to get back into the Vampire Nation story just yet. Now, this job is breaking into the merchant's warehouse to destroy the goods he's looking to auction off. And so, before we know it, Wolverine and Maverick parachute down to his Houston estate, and they bust into the place via the skylight. Now here, we get one of those like very, very fun pages full of historical Marvel memorabilia here. Uh, I think the first time I saw something like this was in Future Imperfect with uh, Rick Jones' collection, and uh, I love pages like this. So uh, let's take a look at all the goodies here. 
Now first, there are many, many, many boxes and crates labeled by which superhero or villain family the contents inside belong to. We've got one labeled Spider-Man, a couple labeled uh, X-Men, a ton labeled Avengers, AIM, HYDRA, SHIELD, Fantastic Four, and then a small crate with T-Mex on it. So uh, I guess they don't have quite as many uh, collectibles as the rest of the Marvel Universe. Now, among the, uh, you know, the goodies here, we've got a sentinel head. It looks pretty wrecked. We got a giant bell, which might be covered with uh, webbing. I-, I don't know. Maybe it's just been there a while. Maybe it's cobwebs. Uh, Nimrod. Nimrod's there. Okay. <laughs> it's not like we have editors, right? Um, Iron Man armor. A giant number four. Onslaught's armor. Which, uh... I mean, that's a neat little Easter egg, but doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense Since, uh, I don't think Onslaught was ever a physical thing, but, uh, okay Uh, Dr. Octopus's tentacle, Mojo's scorpion seat thingy, Modok's weird seat thingy uh, A sword either leaning against or plunged through a Golden Age-style Captain America shield uh, Taskmaster's shield, a Thor's hammer-looking thing, some Ultron parts, Wolverine's Weapon X helmet some pumpkin bombs, I think Ares' helmet, Luke Cage's tiara, Shaka's gloves, World War Hulk's spiked shoulder pad gimmick, and Dracula's coffin. Okay. I mean, uh, okay. Anyway, Wolverine fights off a gaggle of guards while Maverick sets fire to the gaggle of goods. Wolverine monologues over this, not understanding why anybody would want to have all this stuff. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I think uh, I'm being personally attacked here. Now, he thinks for a moment about whether or not all this history ought to be burned before ultimately deciding that it should. He doesn't even peek into the Team Xbox. He doesn't care. I mean, it's already on fire, so it's not like a whole heck of a lot he could have done here at this point, even if he wanted to. Next up, an info page. It's the X-Factor logbook, and in it, Wolverine is petitioning for a full review of his resurrection log. Now, he'd really like to know where this extra severed arm might have come from, and I think that's a pretty good question to ask. Next stop, back in comics, we're in Krakoa. Maverick and Wolverine are hanging out, and Maverick admits that it uh, doesn't seem like all that bad a place to live, but still, it's just not for him. Now, it's got to be said here that Maverick was depowered on M-Day. Wolverine suggests that the Five can make Maverick whole again by, you know, I guess, killing and resurrecting him. And Maverick ain't cool with that. He even says, like, what's the price? I got to join the cult? And, uh, I mean, it's a fair enough point, isn't it? He leaves. He and Wolverine appear to be on good terms, and there's an open door on both ends if the other would like to change things up a bit. Uh, Wolverine's always welcome to join the Mercs, and Maverick is always welcome to live on Krakoa. We wrap up at a coffee house in New York City where Dolores What's-A-Face has arranged a meeting with... Maverick. She wants to hire him, but it's not entirely clear for what. Next episode, uh, we're going back into, or out of, the vault in the next issue of the flagship book, X-Men. But for right now, let's try to think of some things to say about this issue of Wolverine. Um, I can't help but to think that uh, we're treading a little bit of water here uh, to kill time before the Hellfire Gala. This just didn't feel like it needed this uh, this extra issue. As much as I've enjoyed this little arc here, and this wasn't a bad issue at all, just felt a little bit oddly paced, I guess. 
don't know, it feels like uh, the first two issues were quite heavily decompressed, where this one was just like really, really just punchy action just to get the story done here. Um, and uh, going back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode here, um, it's weird that uh, so many of our stories are taking place either in Otherworld or Madripoor. Um, and I know I've railed quite often about Otherworld. It's probably um, it's probably quite annoying to listen to me complain about Otherworld all the time. But uh, part of me feels like this these sort of stories are the only ones that the creators feel uh, safe writing because... I'm not sure how much they know about the direction of this run um, Or they do know what the direction of the run is And know what they can't do So instead of getting more Krakoa Or just classic X-Men based stories here We're stuck treading water in Otherworld Or constantly dealing with Madripoor And it's funny, anytime I think about Madripoor I think about something that may or may not be true But it was accepted as like common knowledge back in my Usenet days And we heard that uh, Chris Claremont had trepidation about, you know, spreading the X-Line too thin here He wasn't keen on doing spin-offs here And uh, each time he was, you know, told that the line was expanding He would uh, put up a fuss until they told him, you know, either you do it or get someone else to do it And then he would be like, okay, well, these are, you know, this is my little corner of this universe So he would want to maintain as much control of it as possible but I remember reading that, uh, and I mean, again, this could be true, this could be false, this could be a little bit of either, uh, but it was accepted as common knowledge back in the uh, prehistorical days of the uh, the BBS boards on the internet, that uh, Claremont didn't want to do a Wolverine solo. And so when he was told, well, there's going to be one, um, he decided to set it in Madripoor because he thought it would be a place that the readers wouldn't care about. And uh, again, maybe true, maybe false, but it was just like what was going around on the internet. And uh, it's kind of tainted my opinion of Madripoor. Um, I would say for better or for worse, but no, it's definitely for worse. So anytime I see a story in Madripoor, I always just, I always just think it doesn't matter quite as much. So now seeing, you know, just how many books are dealing with Madripoor regularly... And I mean, we've got like a couple issues of the Black Cat ongoing series that uh, has Wolverine uh, as Patch in Madripoor that we'll be covering a little down the line here. So it's like, how many books do we need in Madripoor every month? I guess just about as many as we need for uh, for Otherworld. Uh, I don't know. It just feels like we're stuck treading water uh, doing this until the Hellfire Gala or until, I don't know, until something happens. Uh, that said, I mean, the issue wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad issue. Uh, I am just a little fatigued uh, with Madripoor at the moment. Now, Maverick, his appearance here was interesting. I liked his uh, back and forth with Wolverine about uh, Krakoa being a cult, especially since, I mean, that's something we've brought up uh, for uh, since the beginning. You know, since the first time we saw the resurrection protocols in action and Storm had them chanting the word mutant, that was, uh, I think, cult was the first word that came to a lot of our minds at that point. So I appreciate it in that regard here. Um... But if we look at it from, like, the point of view of the 616 citizen, or the 61 citizen, I don't know, do they know about this stuff, like, around the world? Would Maverick know that there's a cult-like behavior here, or would he, just, would he just assume that this is a mutant government, you know, making their own nation? I feel like that was kind of a wink to us. Like, we get it, because we've seen this cult-like behavior. We've, we've talked about... Uh, sort of unexplainable uh, behaviors um, 
things like the crucible, you know, we, we see those things. I don't think the outside world is supposed to see those things, which makes it kind of weird when we've got a character like Maverick, who is an outsider. He's depowered. He's been, uh, he's had his mind wiped for who knows how long, making a comment like that. I don't know, it just doesn't, doesn't totally jive. Uh, I mean, it makes sense because it is what it is, but should he know that? I don't know, I'm sure there's a better way for me to explain this, <laughs> my feelings on this. Um, now, I don't know what Dolores's deal is just yet. Um, she is a very complicated character, or at least the nebulous nature in which she's written is kind of complicated. We don't know if she's friend or foe, both or neither. Um, I, I really don't know. I don't know. I hope that this will come around and make sense, because... For all intents and purposes, this is a totally different character than the one who met up with Storm on the subway several uh, months ago. Totally, totally different. Um, maybe her dealing with Storm was to lull the X-Men into, or the Kirkoans into a false sense of security, but... I mean, I think we've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure Damien mentioned this. Uh, the entire conversation between Storm and Dolores was facilitated by Emma Frost and the Cuckoos, Right. So if Dolores was untoward in any way, or, you know, hiding some sort of sinister motive, you'd think that some of the more powerful telepaths on the planet would be able to suss that out. I really don't know. I really don't know, and I, I think I'm spending way too much time <laughs> thinking about a character that uh, Lord only knows what direction they're going to bring her in. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about the story. Well, actually, no, we have one more thing to talk about here. Wolverine's memories. I don't know where we stand on that. I could have sworn there was an event, one of the many, many events uh, that Marvel does, that uh, ended with Wolverine getting his full memory back. I don't know if that's changed. I mean, he has died and come back, well, several. I, guess, I was going to say he died once, you know, during Death of Wolverine, but no, he's, he's died several times since then. Um, but I don't know if that made of, might have changed some of his memories, maybe put some more Swiss cheese holes in it. I really don't know. But if that is the case here, and it seems to be the case because he doesn't remember some aspects of his time with Team X, the Wolverine that I know, like the Wolverine I grew up with, would want to know what was in that box. Um, here he just let it burn. I I don't know. Seems kind of strange. Uh, uh, worth noting, I mean, that, that whole scene took place in that warehouse, the merchant's warehouse. Uh, that was a really, really cool piece of business. I loved seeing all the uh, the Marvel collectibles, you know. I, I always love the pages like that. Those are always so much fun to peruse and scan and just uh, see what you can find. Because, uh, I mean, some of the things just, they don't they don't really pop out at you at first, you know. Uh, and I feel like a lot of them were just there as like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, because, I mean, Nimrod, should Nimrod be there? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Onslaught's armor. Probably shouldn't be there uh, Dracula's coffin should probably not be there But uh, it actually took me a while uh, As I was looking through this thing Like with my finger Like I was like like doing a cross Like a word search, right? And uh, and it took a few scans with my finger To find the, the Dracula's coffin There's like, oh, there's a purple coffin With a D on it I mean, you'd think it might get a mention Since we're dealing with the Vampire Nation stuff But whatever <laughs> Um Really, really cool looking page though. Our couple of pages there. I thought that was really neat. Uh, Adam Cubit still, you know, puts in fantastic work here. Uh, overall, I'd say that this little uh, Legacy House arc has probably been the strongest uh, arc of this volume of Wolverine so far. 
and I hope we get more like it. Um, unfortunately, I do think we are going back to the vampire stuff for at least a handful of issues, so we will take it as we uh, as we get it, I suppose. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about this issue. But before we cut out of here, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got one letter from our friend Evan. He's talking about Marauders number 17. He says, The Crucible is back and it's pretty mundane. I have the same reservations you do about Storm killing someone to do them a solid and the, about the audience being cool with it. The Crucible is a good storytelling element, but a bad cultural practice. And yeah, um, our friend Damien had uh, made some comments about this issue and uh, brought me around to his um, opinion on you know the value of this issue and the and the uh, the poignance of the issue and how it celebrates the past and how it uh, it just feels very natural. But I like I said then, um, I still it still feels weird that Storm willingly murdered somebody. That's a toughie. I mean, I know she did it to, you know, because Kalisto was going to die anyway. She was going to find someone to kill her. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it still seems, still seems weird to me. Evan continues, Unlike you, I'm not going to be able to pronounce whatever Silver Samurai calls the Crucible Killers. I don't even remember the word he used. Uh, so I propose the title be either Executioner or Crucibly. <laughs> Well, Executioner's already been taken, so I think we'll go with Crucibly. I think that'll work just fine. Uh, Evan continues, As for the timing of the resurrection cue, I think the answer is that it's determined by the needs of the story. Kind of like how Matlock and other TV attorneys can go through a whole murder trial in a single episode. We needed to see Kalisto in this issue to complete the, that part of the story, so she's back. But if the writers can come up with the in-story reason for the delays and rush jobs, that's a good thing. And yeah, I don't know. I know that uh, I think the only um, like cut and dry that we know about this is uh, is members of X Force, right? Uh, and members of X Force because we've seen Quentin Quire come back over a hundred times, I think, at this point. So members of X Force come back. <laughs> that much we know. They jumped the line here. We saw Siren come back uh, very quickly. She died twice within a week and was brought back both times pretty quick. So I think you hit the nail on the head here. It's whatever whatever the story needs is what it's going to be. If we need Professor X to be dead for a couple issues to build suspense, he'll be dead for a couple issues to, to build suspense. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're right on target there. Evan continues, as for Harry Leland's delay, other than the fact that no one cares, maybe he died before they had a good backup of him. That's the only reason I can think of for Thunderbird not being brought back. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Then again, we have Petra and Sway, so that explanation doesn't really work. Maybe Professor X was updating Cerebro software when John Proudstar hitched a ride on Count Nefaria's plane. Well, I can answer that one, I think. At least there's the uh, the leading theory here, and I think it came up in the... Um, oh boy, what were they called early, early, early on the run, uh, in this run? Uh, Sinister Secrets? Where we'd get like these, uh, and that's something we probably should revisit to see if uh, see if it all played out. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to make a note of that so we can go through the sinister secrets again and see see what what happened and what might not have happened. Um, during the sinister secrets, very very early on, there was a mention that uh, sinister like has John Proudstar's DNA in him, and I remember there was like a a very um, interesting. 
bit of lore derived from a coloring error. Um, I believe it was in, it might have been in X-Men 94, the first issue with the new team. Uh, the first ongoing issue with the new team, that is. Where in a single panel, uh, Thunderbird's boots were red. And uh, Sinister mentioned something about red boots in one of his Sinister secrets, and I think a lot of people connected the dots. I mean, people who are much more vigilant and perceptive than I am, because this is not something I would have ever picked up. I'm not even sure if I've ever read X-Men 94 in color. I know the first time I read it was in an Essentials. I don't own the issue, so I'm assuming I've only ever read it in the Essentials. So this would have been lost on me, even if I was a perceptive type, which I'm not. But uh, I remember hearing that uh, that Sinister has Thunderbird's DNA in him, so maybe Thunderbird can't be brought back because that would uh, sort of kind of be a duplicate, which, I mean, that might in- invite some more clone questions like we've been asking uh, for several of our uh, weird duplicate situations to this point. So I think that's why Thunderbird ain't back yet. Uh, Harry Leland, I... I really don't know why he isn't back. Um, Seems like he would have been ripe for resurrection, uh, given the new circumstances here. I mean, he was part of one of the more seminal X-Men stories in history. Um, We're still dealing with Hellfire stuff now. It it would stand to reason that he would be back here. It's odd that he isn't here, unless there there are plans for him. I don't know. I know we... In Marauders, where it's been hinted that uh, Shinobi Shaw might actually be Harry Leland's son, and I I don't think this is the first time that uh, possibility has come up. So perhaps they are building to something here, and when he do- when and if he does come back, there'll be a, uh, you know, a pretty big reveal, or at least a, a hellfire schism of sorts, as if there isn't already one. But thank you so much for writing in, Evan. That was a very complicated issue. Uh, Marauders number 17 here. A very uh, divisive issue. A very very thought-provoking issue. I, I've seen opinions um, running the gamut on this issue. Uh, some folks love it. Some folks are just really turned off by it. Some folks are kind of in the middle. Some folks, like me, are just uh, kind of confused with their own thoughts on the issue. But uh, thank you so much for sharing yours. Now, if anyone out there would like to share their thoughts, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. There's also an Instagram I haven't done anything on yet, 90s X-Men. Uh, you can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can chat us up on Facebook, now 50 members strong. I hope I didn't just jinx anything there. Uh, the group is 90s X-Men on Facebook. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. We're available anywhere you find noise. But that'll do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing a little bit of your time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.